and welcome to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. This month, we speak to Ayo Segunro, Nigerian novelist who talks about his book, The Wonderful Life of Senator Boniface and Other Sorry Tales. We speak to Ayo about his collection of stories and how he would describe it. To summarize it in my own words, there are stories that reflect the everyday realities of Nigerians, as though it's some sort of news articles on these realities, but presented from some form of entertaining perspective. The book really is such an interesting reflection of Nigerian society, and I would think for the most part Lagos, but I I would almost want to call it like a Nigerian twilight zone because some of the the decisions that the characters make, you know, these are 14 stories, so of course all different characters are quite strange if if I may use that word. The conclusions are not always what you find in reality. The arguments are almost always the same. These are the factors you see in day-to-day living in Lagos or the scenarios you see in day-to-day living in Lagos. But the conclusions to those arguments, to those premises, often veer off the usual realities. And maybe it's a part of me that is sort of hoping, and I'm not necessarily sure a lot of that is a very good part of me, but sort of hoping that this kind of decisions or individuals make this kind of decisions and then who knows, maybe they're actually happening in some places just much more stranger than what I've written down. Well, I don't think it's all fantasy too. It's just a blend. That's the best I can say. You really grab the reader from the get-go because you have a preface by speaking to the to the reader directly is that you speak about how death is omnipresent, but it's almost banal sometimes. Um, yes. and, and, and death is quite important in this grouping of stories. Yeah, well, one of the few things that I've come to observe about the states of governance in Nigeria is we take death as a very sacred thing. This is arising from cultural and religious perceptions of death. Yet, on the other hand, we are so immune to its occurrence around us all the time. There is always this conflict between our individual beliefs about the death of anyone, especially people around us, and our collective social attitude to the death of thousands of people from terrorist bombings to state authorities misbehaving or government actors uh, misusing force and similar other scenarios where death just happens all around us. And so I suppose that's my own way of driving the points home in in the stories that yeah people die in Nigeria all the time and we move past it. So I don't suppose this one should shock you that much either. Or as you may know, the title of my most recent book itself was Everything in Nigeria is going to kill you. And so I suppose I'm already having a morbid fascination of my own the subjects. How the characters in your stories power is the is sort of the thing that ties them all together. You know, from the poorest, from the student government leader to the pastor the politician to even like crossing a bridge power is involved in every story yes i would agree with that as well as of course powerlessness too (laughs) in its different forms so for example there is the day-to-day office worker with the successful life and all that but who feels existentially powerless and of course it's ultimately 
destroyed by that sense of powerlessness. And um, that too is, is, is important because power is a very vital currency in Nigeria's social and political interactions. Everybody at some level exercises their own subjective power against other people, whether in family relationships or in what's it called, formal formal relationships at work, in businesses and so on and so forth. Or they find a way to avoid being affected by the powers of others. And so there is a strong sort of hierarchy going on in the country. And I don't always like being the social political commentator when writing my stories, but I don't think I could help avoiding putting all of that in. I wouldn't even say it was conscious. It was, it was just mostly unconscious. A lot of your characters get their comeuppance when they think they're too big for the position that they're in, that they can laud it over on other people, that there is some sort of divine yeah. retribution from the speaker in a loss of confidence, or even the title character, Senator Boniface, the power struggle is real. Yes, definitely. But, you know, again, I tend to think of it on two levels. There is power at the individual level, and there is power at the social level, generally, the collective level. And for me, what's... what's Okay, let's take a loss of confidence, for example. What you have here is both violent power, and you have political power. We have a situation where those who wield one form of power form partnerships with those who wield another form of power. And the whole point of the loss of confidence ending without revealing too much (laughs) is the fact that one sort of this type of power can turn against the other. And so whether it's exercised individually or as a collective, the people do have power in some way, but unfortunately they've been deprived of the understanding that they have that power. And they come to see themselves as actually helpless, even when holding violent physical weapons. This book is not only Nigerian, but very Lagosian. And you really get into the spirit of the three bridges of Lagos who that are go over the lagoon, the Eco, the Carter, and the third mainland bridge. They have they almost have their own personalities because yes. they affect people's lives in so many different ways. Wow. <laughs> you know that's also was a recurring theme, like you rightly noted. I don't know why I've always had some attachment to the three Lagos bridges, the three main bridges in Lagos. But for me, they are both a symbol of some sense of journey, some sense of purpose. And at the same time, they are also a reflection of the divisions between Lagos society in general. So you have uh, a bridge being what conveys people from one point to the other, of course. But at the same time, it's also an individual journey. The man on the bridge, the man on the Echo Bridge, who is attacked by, well, we don't, it's not quite attacked, <laughs> <laughs> who is confronted by touts, has all of this drama going on while other cars are going by without even stopping once to see what's going on, of course. So... That too, for me, is that way with the bridge, it isolates us in certain ways. It's kind of this, we are we are all traveling together, but at the same time, very separately and very alone. On the other hand, it's also that sign of progress too, such as you have in the bombing of the Third Mainland Bridge. You see that, oh, look, actually, bridges demonstrate human capacity to connect, human capacity to achieve greater things. 
all of these are almost basic and obvious symbols, but uh, still, it's something which I'm not quite sure I've seen reflected on that much in Lagos literature generally, and I was just trying to convey some of that feeling I had. I traveled a lot of the bridges in my time as a corporate lawyer, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I drove past them on several nights and several mornings, and I have, especially for the Todd Milan Bridge, a sort of almost, well, attachment of sorts to it. It's it's interesting how you use the poetry that, to break up the 14 stories and your subjects range from like Julian Assange to the Niger Delta Avengers. Um, why did you decide to incorporate poetry in between each of the stories? As far as I'm concerned, the way we tell stories in Africa is a combination of both. We narrate and we sing. It's normal. In the stories I grew up hearing as a child, every story had a chorus in the middle. You start with, you could be say something like, oh, the tortoise and the basket of yams or something like that, or the tortoise and the dog. And then halfway through the story, you all sing along in a song, which gives you a sort of chorus into the background moral of the story. And then you pick up the story again and continue and you break up into some. That's, that's the traditional way of really telling stories here. I just thought I could reflect that too in the way I presented my own stories too. Of course, I'm not quite sure I have a gift as a songwriter. (laughs) (laughs) The closest approximation I can do to that was poetry. And I hope I managed to convey a sense of that connection between telling stories and reciting poetry. As you alluded before, you're not only a novelist, but you're also a social critic and you're a human rights activist and, and a lawyer. Are you working on something in the literature realm right now? Yes, I'm working on a book, but creative nonfiction. I'm trying to, so to say, break down and formulate the problem with the Nigerian political system in something that would be easily accessible to the general public, researched but not academic, informative as well as entertaining, something in that direction. That's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. What are you reading? Let us know. Write to us at storiesinthe55 at rfi.fr. That's storiesinthe55 with 55 as numbers at rfi.fr. Goodbye. Goodbye.